we're going to be spending some time now looking at God's Word. And uh, so let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the freedom we have to gather like this, whether we're here in person or whether it's online. We uh, are one in the Spirit. We're one in the bond of love. And uh, we have already expressed in our worship how much we appreciate you and that we're doing this for your sake. Even though there's a lot of consequences to doing that in our society, like unpopularity and, and, and ridicule and even injustice that's building. And so, Lord, we pray that today we would understand how to live effective lives in this kind of a world for your honor and glory. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so here we are after having spent 2020 worrying about the virus. We're now going to spend 2021 waiting for the vaccine because that's what has to happen for us to get back to our regularly scheduled programming. And mine was every weekend sporting events like rugby, rodeos, rugged maniac mud races. None of that happened in 2020. I'm really looking forward to getting back to normal, to the way we were before we were so rudely interrupted. And waiting isn't easy. Quarantines and lockdowns have exhausted our depleted reserves of patience, and we've run out of ideas. What do you do while you're waiting? I only made it through one and a half episodes of Tiger King, and I, I got fed up. I didn't bake any sourdough or banana bread. So what do you do? Well, as followers of Christ, we don't necessarily want things to get back to normal. Because the new normal of 2019 celebrated immorality. It restricted religious liberty and it threatened free speech. Before the pandemic, the church was facing increasing hostility. The virus has kind of been like a temporary ceasefire in an intensifying outbreak of spiritual warfare. The warfare that uh, Pastor Ryan's been dealing with in the messages he's been bringing to us. And so the followers of Jesus Christ are waiting for more than just the vaccine. We're waiting for some divine intervention. Oh God, send us a revival. We're waiting for the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. How long, oh Lord, how long? Meanwhile, we get impatient. And that's corrosive. Impatience can drain our energy and even destroy our hope. And it's not necessary because there are better options. Instead of wasting our time being anxious and fearful and impatient, we can invest that time in developing some healthy habits. And the Bible, of course, describes many profitable attitudes and activities that are available to us. And in this series, we're going to focus on three of them, which are mentioned in one verse in Micah chapter 6, Verse 8, what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love, 
mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Three verbs, three action words. These are three healthy habits for 2021. This is how you can be an action hero. About 10 years ago, evangelicals got really excited about a new movie entitled Eat, Pray, Love, starring Julia Roberts. Because when does Hollywood ever put the spotlight on prayer? Talk about taking a risk. Apparently, the movie was supposed to be about living a healthy, balanced life, physically, spiritually, relationally. And in that movie, Julia Roberts did get to eat some healthy food, but her prayers were mostly in the context of Eastern religion. And as far as love was concerned, she divorced her husband and started a number of affairs with different men. So Hollywood was being very predictable, played it safe, and showed us a lifestyle that is definitely unhealthy. I suspect that Eat, Pray, Love could have been inspired by that shampoo commercial, Lather, Rinse, Repeat. You've seen that one? Well, God's version of a healthy, balanced, three-dimensional spiritual lifestyle is found here in Micah 6. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So this morning, we're going to focus on acting justly. It's interesting that the prophecy of Micah was written in the context of a decadent generation much like ours. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. Micah believed in conspiracy theories. Not the ones about aliens or the zombie apocalypse or Hunter Biden. And he didn't belong to QAnon. In fact, in his day, conspiracy was not a theory. It was actually going on. Those who planned iniquity and those who plotted evil on their beds. There were people in a position of power and they were up to something. Their minds were filled with ideas so compelling that they couldn't stop thinking about them. Even at night, they had trouble sleeping because they were refining and clarifying their plans. Maybe they saw themselves as possibility thinkers, focused on building a better world. The only question was, better for who? Well, they couldn't wait for morning so they could begin to implement their ideas. And this is what happened. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud a man of his home and a fellow man of his inheritance. This is what was happening in Micah's day. Those in positions of power were committed to building a better world for themselves at the expense of the powerless. The prophet of Micah calls that evil. It was a great injustice to defraud someone of their inheritance. And as the Old Testament points out in so many ways, there are the most serious consequences for people who act unjustly. And that's what the Black Lives Matter protests were all about. You know, we don't need a White Lives Matter demonstration. But 
black people in the United States and around the world don't want to be stereotyped or disregarded. They don't want to be treated with suspicion. No one wants to be seen as inferior. But it's not just a racial problem. Injustice is, is huge in the, in the racial area. But it's also religious because in Canada, those in, a position, in positions of power have a very specific agenda and they are locked on. They must be thinking about it night and day. And they found some very positive ways to describe their brand, like progressive and enlightened and scientific and inclusive. But some of their plots are evil, like abortion. And some of their strategies are actually depriving us of our inheritance. Our children and grandchildren are being thought, taught things in school that are an abomination to the Lord. We recently got an email from Pat about the University of Saskatchewan where they've shut down power to change. Why? Because one person complained and said, this might make people uncomfortable. Wow. Universities always have prided themselves on being tolerant and inclusive and promoting free speech. But apparently that doesn't extend to Christianity. This is called injustice. And of course, the media is an accomplice in these crimes. Look at verse 6 of chapter 2. Do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. When Micah warned the people about judgment, the official state-sponsored prophets tried to censor him. Do not prophesy these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Here in Canada, free speech is on the endangered species list. There are sins that you simply can't talk about. And apparently, it's becoming the unforgivable sin to make people uncomfortable. And maybe that should be our motto. The Christian church, making people uncomfortable for 2,000 years. Amen? Verse 7 says... The prophets say, is the spirit of the Lord angry? Does he do such things? The false prophets were saying, God isn't going to punish us. He's a loving God. Wrath is a primitive, unscientific concept. Don't worry. It's all good. But there's a very, very strong sense of wrath that will be focused on those who are unjust. These spokesmen for the status quo in Micah's day were mercenaries. They would say anything for the right price. Chapter 3, verse 5. The prophets lead my people astray. If one feeds them, they proclaim peace. They'll say anything for the right price. They'll give you any kind of fake news, any kind of alternative facts. And everything for them was politically motivated. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Listen, you leaders, rulers of Israel. Should you not know justice... You who hate good and love evil. So my point is that there are many parallels between Micah's generation and the age in which we now live. But the question is, what do we now do? And so in this message, we're not going to talk about movements and, and trying to deal with justice on a large scale. For example, at the University of Saskatchewan, they're taking this issue to court, which they should rightly do because we have that option. 
But we're not going to be talking about that. We're going to talk about how we as individuals need to learn how to act justly. Because when there's injustice, we have a number of options. We can become afraid and withdraw. We can get angry and make death threats. We can storm Parliament Hill. Or we can whine and complain and feel sorry for ourselves. But those are not the correct answers. The correct answer is right here. What does God require of us to act justly? And that's a radical response to injustice. As injustice is increasing, we are not to retaliate. We're not to get revenge. We do not face evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. We are to act justly. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Because there's many different brands of justice. In our culture, justice is focused on specific parts of the population. Justice is focused on the First Nations, upon the gay community, upon ethnic equality, upon wage disparity. There is absolutely no justice, however, for the unborn. Very little for the elderly, even less for the homeless. And that's because human attempts at justice are often flawed and they create unintended consequences and injustices elsewhere. The true justice that God dispenses is good, it is pleasing, and it is perfect. And the Bible makes it very clear that justice is extremely important to God. For example, in Psalm 11, verse 7, for the Lord is righteous, he loves justice, and the upright will see his face. God loves justice, and he loves it when we act justly. And he's especially concerned with those that the world ignores, the powerless, the orphans, the widows. In Ezekiel uh, 22, verse 6, See how each of the princes of Israel uses his power to shed blood. They have oppressed the alien and mistreated the fatherless and the widow. God is concerned about those people who are powerless. In Psalm 146, verse, beginning at verse 7, it says, He upholds the cause of the oppressed. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. And in the New Testament, this continues in James chapter 1, verse 27. The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And that's why the kingdom of God does not operate like Downton Abbey or like the Vatican. It's not a hierarchy. It's not a caste system. It doesn't have a privileged class whose aristocratic lifestyle is maintained by socially inferior worker drones. We know that the entire Roman Empire was propped up by the scaffolding of slavery. 
That's just how it worked. That's how they were able to do what they did. But just think how radical it was when the New Testament church came. And when Paul would say things like this in Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all equal. And that's why it was Christians who succeeded in abolishing slavery in the Roman Empire and in the British Commonwealth. And that's why a Baptist minister named Martin Luther King Jr. led the civil rights movement. In the kingdom of God, all are of equal importance. And so in the body of Christ, there is absolutely no excuse for inferiority. 1 Corinthians 12, 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. There is no excuse for inferiority. And there's no justification for superiority. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. In the kingdom of God, there's no excuse for feeling inferior, and there's no justification for feeling superior. You know, I've been told that if I don't speak in tongues, I am inferior. Well, that to me is spiritual malpractice. That's not from God, so I don't receive it. That's like somebody trying to hand me a used tissue they just sneezed into. No thanks, I don't receive that. Others have been told, if you only had more faith, God would heal you. Your faith is somehow inferior. Now, it's true that God treats each of us differently. We have different levels of responsibility, but that doesn't make anyone better or superior. In Matthew 20, Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen, in God's family, there is absolutely no one more important than you. There is no one more important than you. And... There's also no one less important than you. That's what justice is all about. So what would it look like for the followers of Jesus to act justly? Well, it would be the opposite of Micah chapter 2. If injustice is defrauding others and depriving them of their inheritance, justice is all about working toward the goal of enriching the lives of others, and making sure they get their equal share. So let me give you three aspects of acting justly. Number one, justice is not about us. It's for the sake of others. That's very important because the evangelical church in Canada is being treated unfairly. And there's going to be all kinds of court cases about that, and there should be. But the problem is we can focus our undivided attention on the injustice we're experiencing and totally miss God's will. Because God's will is not confined to me, myself, and my church. It is primarily to be focused on others. Love your neighbor as you do yourself. 
You don't have to worry about loving yourself. You're already doing that. Now you focus on loving your neighbor that way. Start treating your neighbor the way you already treat yourself. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The modern version of that might be, tweet unto others as you would have them tweet unto you. Now, this idea did not originate with the kinsmen or the lion's club. It's in the Bible. Jesus said it. Justice is not to be all about how we are being treated. It's all about how we are treating others. And that's a radical worldview. Because in my opinion, the concept of justice and equality, the possibility even the possibility of being concerned about others first argues strongly against the theory of atheistic evolution. You see, in Darwin's model, it's all about natural selection, survival of the fittest. And for that, the evidence abounds. I have spent years photographing animals. And Darwin was absolutely right. It's survival of the fittest doesn't matter whether it's a pack of wolves or a troop of gorillas or a hive of killer hornets. Groups of animals are not democracies. There's very little equality. They are authoritarian dictatorships. Whether it's patriarchal, like the alpha male in a pride of lions, or matriarchal, like the alpha female in a gang of lemurs, or maybe a book club. Higher animals, of course, can surprise us sometimes. They can express love and compassion. And sometimes animals from different species can, can somehow connect and bond and imprint on each other. So there's a lot of love and compassion within their family units, but with outsiders, not so much. And with natural enemies, not at all. That's why racism is a Darwinian behavior. It is a primitive instinct, typical of lower primates. It's hostility to anyone who is different. But human beings are capable of so much more than that. They say that we share 95% of our DNA with orangutans, grooming not included. So, curious George there, that's your valedictorian. Ooh, what are you eating? Ooh, that's disgusting. Our biology may be similar, but you have to realize there is something very, very different about us. And the Bible says God created man and woman in his own image. He lovingly breathed the breath of life into a mud pie named Adam. And it's because of God that we are capable of living on a higher level than the rest of creation. Where animals are threatened by their natural enemies and will fight to the death against them. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. That's not Darwinian. That's not allowed in that worldview. The Darwinian model makes that impossible. For the followers of Christ, it's not survival of the fist. Because Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth. So the idea of justice, of treating others as we treat ourselves, 
of going so far as to even love our enemies is radical and revolutionary and only possible by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that justice is even on the agenda in, in secular societies is because to God, it's such a big deal that he's made it part of human nature to feel that way. He's imprinted this ideal in our DNA. He's hardwired it into our conscience. Without God, humanity would be dominated by dictatorships and street gangs. It would either be absolute authoritarianism or anarchy. That's why justice has become essential to fostering sustainable human society. There's something very different about us, and it's all to God's credit. And at best, we understand justice is not for our benefit. It's for the sake of others. And that's one of the reasons why God allows us to experience injustice. Because when we know what it feels like, we have a greater sympathy and understanding of what others are going through. The second point is that justice is focused on enabling people to claim their inheritance. As we saw in chapter 2, injustice deprives people of their inheritance. So justice helps people to discover what their inheritance truly is. Because you're in the will. And where there's a will, there's a way. In 2016, my name appeared in the will and testament of a lady who died in Germany. She was apparently my aunt, who originally was married to my uncle, who was killed in World War II. Now, I had never done anything for her. I didn't even know who she was. But because of this distant relationship, she put my name in her will, along with a dozen others. So one day I get an email informing me that I was a beneficiary. It was written in German, and we tried to decipher it and discovered they wanted a bank account number so they could transfer the money into. Well, we immediately knew this was a scam. Well, we continued to investigate. My brother was part of this, and we eventually ended up with an account where they had deposited $8,000 into my Swiss bank account, Crowfoot Branch, which I immediately converted to Tim Horton's gift cards. I think I still have one left. Of course, the preceding statement was not intended to be factually accurate. We used the money to uh, pay for most of our trip to Europe. So we got to go to Europe. Best trip of our lives. We got to go to Europe because somebody went through the trouble of finding out where I was. I don't know how they found me because I think I must be in the NAB Seminary Witness Protection Program. But somehow they found me. They contacted me. And if they hadn't done that, I never would have known. See, justice is like that. It's, most people don't realize that they can inherit every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms through Christ Jesus. Evangelism and missions is committed about informing people of an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Paul and Tanya Gericki are in Romania telling the gypsies, despised gypsies who have experienced a lot of racial prejudice, 
telling them that they can be rich through Jesus Christ. Justice is all about others getting what's coming to them, especially those who have no status and no opportunities. Those are the people that God is concerned about. Those are the ones who are on his heart and it should be on our heart as well. Now, I got this inheritance not because I deserved it. I never did anything for, for that lady. But I was entitled to it. We don't deserve our spiritual inheritance, but through Jesus Christ, we are entitled to it. Of course, I had to split that inheritance with about a dozen others. The good news is in salvation, we don't just get a portion of God's blessing. 0.000001%. We get full title to the entire estate, including the mineral rights. And by mineral rights, I mean gold, silver, and precious stones. You are the chief beneficiary, and you need to know that. And you need to tell others about that. So maybe, maybe there's someone listening to this message on YouTube long after I'm dead. Well, I want to tell you this. You may have been treated unfairly. You may have been treated as an inferior. You may have experienced great injustice. But God has not forgotten you. God has not given up on you. God focuses on people like you. He has a heart for those who are oppressed and neglected and left out. Because as Ephesians chapter 2 says, beginning at verse 4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We're going to be focusing on that in our communion in a few moments. Take heart because you are in the will and New Testament. Number three. We deliberately pursue justice in the way we treat others. The book of Proverbs begins with these words, the Proverbs of Solomon for attaining wisdom and understanding, for doing what is right and just and fair. So the question is, do I treat people fairly? Do I treat some better than others? Let's Look at a hypothetical case. Let's say you've got four sisters. Totally hypothetical. Do you treat some better than others? You know, we had three sons. And while they were growing up, they were definitely not a democracy. That was a dictatorship. You better stay in your lane if you know what's good for you. How do we treat the members of our own family? What about parents? Do you have a favorite child? I sure hope not. Favoritism is very toxic to any family ecosystem. It's, it's harmful to everyone, especially to the favorite. Remember what happened to the golden boy, to Joseph? 
Do you know anyone at, uh, at school who is being treated like an outcast? They're being left out. They may be the victim of bullying. Maybe you can help see that justice is done. You can reach out to them. You can listen to them. You can pray for them. You can buy them a Tim Hortons double-double. Or you can speak up on their behalf. Is there someone at work who is underappreciated, underutilized, underestimated, unrecognized? Don't turn the spotlight on yourself. Shine it on them. As George Orwell pointed out in Animal Farm, we believe all are created equal, but some are more equal than others. Most business offices and companies subconsciously follow the Orwellian model. Is there someone being ignored because they're different? Are there some new immigrants who are struggling to cope? That's a job for the Justice League. You see, when we are self-focused, when we're thinking about our own problems, we don't have time for any of this because we don't even notice. And I believe that's one of the reasons why God is allowing us to experience injustice so that we know what it feels like, so that we notice it in the lives of others. This, of course, is only possible when we commit ourselves to treat others the way we want to be treated. When we commit ourselves to love our neighbors as ourselves, that's just the bare minimum. The Bible goes far beyond that. So it might be a good habit to get into that every evening you kind of review your day and ask yourself, who did I treat harshly today? Who did I treat as an inferior? Who could I have treated better? You may never see that person again, but you can make sure that the people you see tomorrow will get a better deal. Justice, of course, can be a huge global issue, so overwhelming it paralyzes us. But it can also be validated in the brief encounters we have on a daily basis. And this, of course, requires discipline and perseverance. Because all new habits will seem awkward at first. But eventually they become spontaneous, imprinted on our muscle memory. And we'll become like the servants, in, servants of the king in Matthew 25. Our praise team sang a song about that. Matthew 25 verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me, and I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. See, these are all justice issues. These are the people who need it. And it's interesting how the righteous respond. <laughs> they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? They just didn't remember doing these random acts of kindness. And you know why? Why they didn't remember? Because they had become habits. And when you do something often enough, you don't even have to think about it. You don't remember it. You just do it. This is what we do. This is how we live. 
Acting justly needs to become that kind of a habit because it is good. And that's what the Lord requires of us. Not through our own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. He has showed you what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, there was a time when we were not part of the family, when we were outcasts, when we were lost in sin, but you reached out to us through Jesus Christ. And through him, we discovered a tremendous inheritance, an inheritance of eternal life. And we are now so rich and blessed because you took all that trouble to provide that inheritance for us. And it was the most difficult thing you ever had to do to go to the cross. And so, Lord, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.